Good evening, everyone, once again. And uh, we are going to be, as I said, looking at Psalm 42. So you can open your Bibles there to Psalm 42. We'll also have the words uh, up here on the screen as we go along through it. But uh, last week, we considered that very familiar psalm, Psalm 23, titled, The Lord is My Shepherd. And uh, tonight we're going to be studying, studying Psalm 42, and it's probably less familiar to you than Psalm 23 is. However, what Psalm 42 deals with is a rather common experience for all of us. You see, Psalm uh, 42 addresses this experience of spiritual depression, the, the depression and the downcast uh, state of a soul. And I imagine that many of us know the state of our soul being like that in a lot of ways, right? In some way or another, we know uh, what it's like to be down. We know what it's like to be sorrowful in our hearts and in our souls. And so let me begin just by telling you why I've decided to teach on this psalm tonight. Uh, One of the things is, is that in the Psalms, you will find every human emotion known to man. So there's nothing that you have not felt, um, you know, inside. You know what I'm talking about, like those feelings, those emotions you have inside. There's nothing that you've felt that is not in some way expressed with words in the Psalms. And this state of being um, spiritually depressed, being downcast, I think that this is something that is so common to us. But I find that there's a great need in the church today for people to understand themselves emotionally. Uh, Because if we don't understand ourselves emotionally, we're going to have a pretty hard time understanding ourselves spiritually. Because our emotions and our our spirit, our soul, they're very much connected. And, And I would say that spiritual maturity is going to be greatly influenced by your emotional maturity. Like, how do you handle those feelings that you go through in life? And how you handle those feelings is going to have a direct correlation of of your spiritual well-being. Now, as I say that, I want to be really quick to point out that I don't think that a Christian should spend considerable amounts of times, you know, placating every one of their feelings. Because, in fact, I find that far too often we let our emotions and our feelings lead us. When it's the Lord who leads us, and his, his word is a light to our path. And so I pray that what Psalm 42 would do is that in its rawness, and in its, in, in its honesty, you would say, you know what, I've felt that way before. But you would also see from God's word that there is a path out of this state of, of being spiritually depressed And uh, I don't know if you have been there, if you are there, or if you just want to put this in your back pocket for when you get there. I think that common to the human experience is that we all go through just down times. Maybe some more than others, but we've all been through it. And at some point, if you haven't, you're going to go through it. And so as I I say that, I just, I want to just be quick to say, the Word of God is, is, is our path. And, and there's nothing that you have felt before or even that you're feeling right now that the Bible doesn't express very well. And so let's read Psalm 42 together. Let's see if this sort of strikes a chord in you or not. All right? Psalm 42, 
says, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. That's the title of the psalm, but it's actually within the original scripture. So, it's to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemies? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these words, the word of God, and we pray that you would speak to us today through it. Speak to us in that deepest inner part of who we are within our souls. Because Lord, I know for myself, and I'm sure many here could agree, Lord, that sometimes we don't know why we are feeling the way we're feeling. Um, we're feeling down. We're feeling um, like we're in a pit. We have these questions of why. Why do I feel forgotten? Why do I feel forsaken? Why do my enemies taunt me, Lord? And and Lord, we thank you that in this psalm, we do have answers and we do have a hope. It's you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would, for many people, even tonight, Lord, help us to be planted upon that rock, Lord, and to even be pulled up out of that pit of despair and depression. And Lord, that we would hope in you, Lord, for you are good, you are faithful, and we want to get our eyes on you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, you know, we live in a time, I would say, and I think you'd all agree with me, that there's been a lot of focus being put toward emotional health. This sort of push is found within uh, what I would call secular humanism. And I would call it secular because our world wants to dial God out of a lot of things. But it's humanism because um, everyone understands, whether you believe in God or not, that the human being is very complex, that we um, multifaceted, complex beings, and, and we all have a sense of there's just a lot going on in the inside of a human being. But 
in this sort of push toward mental health with, within secular humanism, which I would say, you know, secular humanism is to try to live out the best possible human experience. But again, it's, it's, it's without God, and it's, it's just trying to, within yourself, be happy. And I'm not one to condemn all, you know, secular teaching on emotional health. In fact, I would say that our world is catching up to what the Bible diagnosed a long time ago. And however, in our our world right now, I would say that many people are asking this question of who am I and why do I feel the way that I feel? These are good questions to ask. We want to know who we are and how we're wired, and, and we want to know why it is that we feel the way we do inside. And, and, and yet the question um, that the Bible, I think, asks, and I think it's a much better question to ask, is who is God, and why do I feel the way that I feel? And see, the, the question, you know, why do I feel this way, remains the same regardless. But whether or not you come at that question from um, the standpoint of who am I versus the standpoint of who is God is going to give you some really different results. And I, I think about how Jesus, when he was with his disciples, um, one day asked them, um, who do people say that I am? And Jesus wasn't just asking this question because he was sort of like most of us trying to get a pulse on his popularity. Um, he actually was going to bring them to an even greater question. He said, what do, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elijah. Some are saying you're just a, another prophet. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? And we know that that's when Peter answered. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, ding, 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 ding. Right? He didn't say that part. But he said, um, <laughs> you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven did. And, and see what Peter had latched onto, which was a, a correct view of who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. And this is the real Jesus that we worship. And one of the vision statements of our church is bring the real you to the real Jesus. And Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He does not change. We're going to see in the psalm tonight, he is the rock. He is our salvation. He is God. But that question about, well, then who's the real you? That question of who am I and why do I feel this way? That... (laughs) That can be all over the map, can it? I mean, any given week, me bringing the real me to the real Jesus, sometimes I've got these high highs and sometimes I've got these low lows. And because Jesus is constant, he's my rock, I can come to him at all times, no matter how I'm feeling. And what I love about this psalm is that it's the psalmist coming in a really low and miserable space when he's just not at his best. He's really down, he's really out, he's really struggling, and he comes to God, and he's brutally honest with God. And you know what I say? God loves it. The psalm is in our Bible because God loves when his people talk to him this way. And so as we're going to go through it, I think what we're going to see is this this psalmist. It's written by the uh, sons of Korah, and it was a song that was sung in the temple. Um, but it's, it speaks to us about spiritual depression. 
Now, last week, when we went through Psalm 23, I gave a book recommendation. Some of you guys maybe picked it up this week, and even I've heard some have started reading it. That was uh, Philip Keller's book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I thought that was a fun thing to do. I'm going to give you another book recommendation based on Psalm 42. This book is called Spiritual Depression. It's... um, It's Causes and It's Cures. Spiritual Depression is the title of the book. It's written by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And if you know who Martin Lloyd-Jones is, a.k.a. the doctor, um, he was a trained medical professional uh, who actually began practicing medicine in the Royal College of Physicians in in England, meaning that he was like taking care of royalty. And he left all of that to become a preacher. And I came across this uh, great preacher and author. I read his book on preaching, uh, which helped me to recognize my calling as a pastor. But his book on spiritual depression is totally underrated. And I think it's one of his best works. And uh, if you get the chance to pick up that book, if you like Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, raise the hands. Who's read a Martin Lloyd-Jones book here? All right, kind of mixed. It can be a little, it's, it's from some time ago, so it reads, but once you get used to his style, it's really good. And so that's a book that I would recommend, and he bases that book off of his analysis here of Psalm 42, and um, it's just really good. But as I said, um, this psalm is just beautifully honest. Just a few little background notes of Psalm 42. Um, you know, the Psalms are divided up into five books. And Psalm 42 is the first Psalm of the second book. And these Psalms that are within the second book are a lot more, you know, uh, contemplative. They, they really sort of get into the soul and just really examine sort of the inner being of, of, of the soul. And so this is just a great place to be when you're really kind of struggling The Psalms is the place to go, especially book two. And um, this psalm was attributed to the sons of Korah. Uh, The sons of Korah were Levites. And uh, if you know who the sons of Korah are, maybe if you've been reading through the Bible in six months, I was talking to Gil about this earlier. If you're in Numbers, you read what happened to uh, the Kohathites. Uh, Korah led a rebellion of people against Moses and Aaron and tried to sort of take over the priesthood. And um, they had a little bit of a showdown um, with God. And it was like, you know, either Moses is God's guy or (laughs) uh, Korah is God's guy. And there's only one. And so they go before God and uh, go read numbers and you'll find out what happened to them. (laughs) Not good. Let's just say the ground split open and fire came down from heaven. (laughs) It was pretty intense. So you can imagine that the sons of Korah were like, we're going to honor God. (laughs) We're going to worship God. And in fact, the sons of Korah were very gifted musical leaders. Um, They were also responsible for the setting up and the tearing down and the transportation of the tabernacle. Um, And if you guys know the story of Uzzah who touched the ark and died, uh, it's because these guys were the ones who were supposed to be carrying it. So anyways, a lot of great history on these guys, but the psalm that they wrote is just a really great place of, of just being down. 
And so we're just going to go through it now, sort of one verse at a time, and uh, unpack what God's Word has to say. So um, verse 1 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now, you don't need to know that deer get thirsty to understand thirst. We've all been there, right? Um, I was actually just in Central Valley uh, celebrating 4th of July, and the temperatures got up to like 105. And so uh, thirst became a very uh, recognizable thing, especially in my children. Uh, we went to go play baseball at a field, and uh, it goes from like zero to 60. One moment, my son's having a great time running around hitting baseballs. The next moment, he's going to die because dad forgot to bring water to the park, right? And so we all understand this sense of having thirst. It reminds me of this one time of when I was... Um, mountain biking uh, in the back hills of Santa Barbara, and uh, about halfway through the ride, we ran out of water. And we got down to the bottom of the trail, and we still had about two miles down this road that we had to ride back to get to our car. And it was like kind of like where you hear like the buzzards, you know, and you see like the heat waves on the road and little mirage over here, you think you're going to die. And, and, and I was like, I was really thirsty. <laughs> And so this car comes driving down the road, and I'm like, is it, is it heaven? Is, it, is this what's going on? And the, the car gets there, and uh, this guy's like, wow, it's a, it's a hot one today. And he's like, my, my temperature gauge on my car is reading like 107. And I'm like, yeah, it feels that way right now. And so do you want some water? I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so the guy gets out of his car, and he opens up his trunk, and it was me and my friend riding mountain bikes, and, and he had a case of those Kirkland water bottles, the little half-sized ones like that. And he's like, will one do? I, just, I like wanted to wring his neck. I was like, will one do? I'm about to die out here. <laughs> and so we all have that sense of what it is to thirst. And there's something about our physical feelings inside that are going to correspond to what we feel spiritually. If you know what it is to thirst physically, then you're going to know something about what it means to thirst spiritually. Because look, we get parched. We get just dried out in our souls where there's this intense longing and this desire within us. There's this like a deer panting for water, so our soul pants for you, O God. And the only thing that's going to satisfy is if we, if we drink of God, if, if we have of his living water. And as it says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This immediately draws my mind to John chapter 4 with Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. You guys know that story quite well of how she was drawing water alone and you know why. And Jesus goes and it's very sort of um, um, sort of a situation that Jesus got in where it was like kind of um, not acceptable for Jesus to be hanging out with a woman in the middle of the day by a well. And yet Jesus speaks into this woman's life and, and he asks her for some water and, and then he tells her, oh, you should ask me for some water. 
He talked about that stream of living waters like torrents welling up within us. And this he was speaking about the Holy Spirit that would be given, right? And, and in that story, we also hear of when Jesus says about how um, we're to worship. You guys remember how the Samaritan woman, she's like, you know, our people worshiped on this mountain. And she got into sort of this little debate between Jewish and Samaritan worship and where the proper place of worship was. And Jesus said, oh, but those who worship in spirit and in truth, these are the worshipers that God is seeking. But back in this time, before Jesus came and and told us that worship can happen anywhere, so long as you do it in spirit and in truth, There was a time when there was only one place, an appointed place where people can worship. And that's why in the next uh, part of verse 2 says, when shall I come and appear before God? You see, the sons of Korah, they served in the temple. Or prior to the temple, they served in the tabernacle. They They were servants of the house of God, and they were worship leaders within the house of God. And these people, like I said, they were appointed people where only they could do certain things. Like when they had to move the Ark of the Covenant, there were these rings that were along the side and they were to be carried upon poles on the shoulders of the Kohathites. And so these people had this experience so much in their past of worshiping God in an appointed place. But we're going to find out in just a moment that this psalmist wasn't able to be there in the house of God. Um, He wasn't able to go and worship God in that place. And because of this distance that he felt from God, because it had been a really long time since he had been able to worship the Lord, this is what he says in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Have you ever been so sad in like the kind of sadness where you're crying? Um, We've all been there. For some reason or another, we've all been there. But have you ever been so sad with tears that your only meal is crying? You know when you're so sad that you can't actually eat? This is what the psalmist is talking about. Like, I have no appetite, and the only thing that I taste is the salt that's running from my tear ducts into my mouth. And he is in a place of of depression. He's in a place of deep sadness where he can't even eat. All he can do is cry. And... There's many people in the Bible who have found themselves in this state of spiritual depression. And and in a lot of ways, the way out of it is to have a meal, by the way. You know, if you're ever so sad that you don't want to eat, probably one of the best things that you can do is to eat. I think about Elijah, who was depressed after a really big spiritual high in his life. And he was sitting under this a tree, and he basically wanted to die. He's like, God, just take me out right now. And he's so downcast, he, he's telling God how sad he is, that he wants to die. And then God tells him, take a nap and eat some food. And that's what he does. He takes a nap 
and eats a meal, and he wakes up and he feels better. And sometimes this spiritual depression that we feel inside, sometimes God actually wants us to just do the right thing physically, and it's going to then carry us along spiritually. But here is where the psalmist is. He's so sad that he can't even eat. All he can do is cry. Not only that, but people were questioning him. His, his enemies were saying, where is your God? Now, the enemies weren't saying, like, your God doesn't exist. I like what one, one commentator said, is that atheism is a, is a newer invention. <laughs> At this time when the Psalms were written, everyone believed that God exists. It just was, which God do you believe? And this this uh, son of Korah obviously believed in the covenant God of Israel, in Yahweh. But here, the mockers and the enemies are saying, not like, where is your God? He doesn't exist, but where is your God? He doesn't seem to care about you. And this is how the psalmist was feeling. He just felt like he's almost going to agree with the enemies in just a moment. But the taunts of the enemy don't help this guy in his pain. And then in verse 4, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how it would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, this speaks about how he is looking back to those sweet times that he had worshiping the Lord and how he was a worship leader joyfully leading the people of God in procession, joyfully leading people in in the festivities of the celebrations of Israel, and yet now he's in a place where he's distant from that, and he's looking back. And you know, sometimes looking back on better days, looking back on good times, that can help us when we're feeling down, can it? You just kind of take a moment, man, I've had a lot of awesome times in my life. But there's sometimes when we're feeling so down that looking back on better days makes things worse presently. You kind of think, man, those were the glory days. Now look at where I am. And that's how the psalmist feels. Doesn't seem to look like things are going to get better from here. And so as he looks back on the throng, on the procession, on the shouts and the songs of praise, the keeping of festival, he's like, man, those were good times and it just makes this time feel so much worse. And then in verse 5, this is where the psalm just really anchors. It's almost like the chorus of the psalm and it's going to repeat itself at verse 11, but let's read it here in verse 5. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So what's the psalmist doing here? I think the psalmist is doing the best thing that you can possibly do when you are in a state of spiritual depression. When your soul is downcast, he does the best thing that you could possibly do. And this is what he does. He talks to himself. Not in like a real like kind of weird way, you know, where you kind of talk to yourself. We've all been there. You know when you... I'm going to be really like vulnerable right now for a moment. Have you ever like 
gotten really close into a mirror and just really stared yourself down? <laughs> you ever done that? And you're like, man, it's gotten really wrinkly, right? <laughs> oh, I haven't looked that closely in a while, right? But it's like, we've all been there where we've like, we've kind of had a little heart to heart with ourselves in the mirror. That's a little weird. That's not, maybe this is what he was doing, but he, what was he doing? He was talking to himself. And not just talking to himself like he's crazy, but he's talking to his soul. Because the psalmist knew that he is not just a physical being. He's not just a clump of cells looking in the mirror. Wow, look at that clump of cells. He realized there's something inside called a soul. And he talks to his soul. And he says, soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you in turmoil within me? Look, there's, there's answers to that question. He was downcast. He was in turmoil because of the taunting of his enemies. He was downcast because of the feelings of distance from the house of God. He was he was downcast. He was in turmoil because of the memory of better days and better things. But, but there is more reason to hope in God. And that's what the psalmist is going to do. He's going to say, you know, there, there's reasons for you to be downcast, soul. But I'm going to tell you something right now, soul. Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And as I said, we're going to come back to this part at verse 11. And so there's more things I want to say about that part. But let's keep going into verse 6. It says, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. So he's being honest with himself. And he's being honest with God. And he's saying, I, I recall all of your goodness and all of your promises to me. He says, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. And these places were locations that were in the north of Israel, whereas Jerusalem is in the south of Israel. And so here we just see geographically, he's in a far distance from Jerusalem, which was God's appointed place of worship. And so this is what he talks about, not being able to go to the place of worship. And, and this physical distance is corresponding with the spiritual reality that he feels distant from God. And isn't it true that when you kind of like are away from maybe church for a long time, Whatever your appointed place of worship is. For me, my appointed place of worship is Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. This is like where I worship God with the people of God. I know I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God when I'm surfing in the waves. I can worship God in my house around my dinner table. I can worship God in my car while I'm listening to you know, music. I can worship God anywhere. And yet, I believe that this place, Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, and not just the place, but the people, you, the body of Christ, this is the appointed place of worship for me, which is why I imagine you came out on a Wednesday night, 
Because doesn't it sometimes feel like from one Sunday to another Sunday is too much time and too much distance from the house of God? And this is what the psalmist feels. Wednesday nights are so good because sometimes you get to Wednesday, you're like, I don't know how I can make it to Sunday. (laughs) I need a fresh filling of living water. I need another interaction with the people of God. I got to go to that place of worship. And yet the psalmist here is expressing how he feels distance from God and distance from the people of God. And then in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, whether or not the psalmist was out in the hills of Hermon or the Mount of Mazar and actually saw a waterfall as he was writing this psalm, but here you just got to sort of picture this waterfall that's falling from great heights and coming down, crashing into the pool that is below. And the psalmist sees himself as if he is at the base of that waterfall with the water crashing down upon him. Has anybody ever come underneath a waterfall before? It's pretty scary. I mean, if it's a powerful waterfall, like, you got to be really careful. Um, But I've been there. One time at the American River, I went down into this waterfall where you could kind of swim under and come up to the other side of it. But as I was swimming, I got stuck and it spun me around a good few times, like, you know, in the washer machine. And you just feel as the waves just crashing down upon you, like not letting you go and you're kind of stuck in that place. And this is how the psalmist is sort of picturing himself in this state of spiritual depression as the waves are just beating down upon him. If you're a surfer, it's like a three-wave hold down. Bam, bam, bam. You're You're not coming up for air. You're just stuck there at the mercy of the roaring of the waterfalls, at the mercy of the breakers and the waves. But did you notice who he attributes the waterfalls and the breakers and the waves to? Look, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. The psalmist understood that in this life, nothing happens unless the Lord allows it to happen. Nothing. God controls every body of water and nothing happens unless God allows it to happen. And sometimes those emotions hit us like a waterfall or a breaker or a wave, and we feel like we're suffocating under them. And this is just the honest, tumultuous state that the psalmist finds himself in, this deep, dark place of depression. Those words, deep calls to deep, I I don't totally know what that means, (laughs) But I have this sense that it's like the depths of God calling out to your depths. And I read this one beautiful poem that said, deep calls out to deep, but sometimes I long to stay in the shallows. And sometimes God wants you to go through 
the depths, to go into the deep end, as it were. Isn't, isn't there just something about deep water that's frightening? You know? Um, if young kids, the deep end is always, be careful out there. You know, when you can't touch, when you have no control, and, and especially when you can't see what's underneath you, <laughs> that's really scary. And, and this, is, this is like the depths of God. The, de- the deepest depths of the ocean can't even fathom the depths of God. But we also have souls that go very deep. And His deep calls out to our deep. And sometimes the sweetest, most tender moments that you will ever experience God is, in, is when His deep is calling out to your deep. But sometimes we just like to stay in the shallows because it's comfortable and we have control. But sometimes when we don't have any control, that's when God does His greatest work. And so then in verse 8 it says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I love that the day and night, he says his tears have been his food, but it also says day and night he finds himself um, being met with songs from the Lord and, and this prayer as a source of relief. And I'll just tell you, if you've ever experienced spiritual depression, if you're going through a dark time right now in your soul, music and prayer are a remedy for the soul. And then it says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Doesn't... Doesn't verse 9 seem like a total contradiction? I mean, just read it again, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Right? When we, we think about God being a rock, Jesus himself is referred to as the rock. It means a sure foundation, a, a sure footing where you're, where you're planted and you're there and you're not going to slip away. The house that is built upon the, the rock and not the shifting sand, right? The rock is going to keep you. The rock is going to hold you. The rock is not going to let you go. And the psalmist knows that. He's saying, I say to my God, you're my rock, but why have you forgotten me? And that is, at, that is not at all a contradiction. See, you can understand that you are so secure in the Lord because he's your rock, and at the very same time, you can feel like he's not even there for you. And that's okay. Because sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes it's okay to say to God, you know what? I feel like you're not even here. Are you listening? Do you hear me when I'm talking to you? Got to be prepared and humbled if God's going to speak back to you. But we can talk to God this way. He says, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemies. And then in verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Again, this psalmist is repeating that his adversaries are just after him. And that it feels like inside his bones, he's dying. And then he says, finally, again, in verse 11, 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why is it repeated? I think this is repeated because it's a song and you often repeat the chorus. (laughs) But no, I think it's repeated because in this life, you're probably going to have to talk to your soul several times because you're going to go into these moments of despair, many different points in your life. And to be able to tell your soul to hope in God, you might have to tell it more than once. It doesn't always respond the first time. You know, when you're really going through a hard time and somebody, like a friend, always well-meaning, says, come on, man, hope in the Lord. You're like, yeah, yeah, hope in the Lord. It's like easier said than done. And yet, sometimes we have to listen to those friends that are saying, hope in the Lord, he is, he's with you, he's faithful, he's good. And they're telling you these promises and they're telling you these promises and you gotta believe them. And you know what? You have to also learn to talk to your own soul. Because sometimes we just love to sit in that place of despondency and despair. We just love to sit in that place of depression, and we don't know the Word of God well enough to where we could actually take it in hand and speak to our souls with it and say, get up out of this place of despair, hope in God. God is your rock. And we got to learn the spiritual practice of speaking to our souls, commanding our souls, That word hope says hope now, do it right now. There's an urgency to hoping in God. Hoping in God doesn't mean cross your fingers, doesn't mean, well, I think God might work on my behalf. Hoping in God is the confident assurance that God has made promises to his people and that he's going to uphold his promises even when we don't feel like they're gonna come through to us. Because his promises are always better than how you're feeling. But the psalmist for sure is saying he feels this way because he can't be in the place of worship. He's feeling the taunts of the enemy. He has the memory of past times. He's going through these difficult and deep trials. He has this sense of God not speaking, God not working, and yet he can say, hope in God. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up. And as I do that, I want to read to you um, a little portion from that book that I had recommended by Martin Lloyd-Jones that I think just really puts a cap on everything that I've said today about learning to speak to your soul when you're feeling downcast. And so um, just listen. This is um, a portion from Spiritual Depression by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Says the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that the most Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? 
Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Someone is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? And what business have you to do with being disquieted? You must turn on yourself, unbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. Amen? Amen. So if you came here tonight and you didn't feel like worshiping, say to your soul right now as we close in worship, I shall yet praise him. And you might be in a place tonight where you are spiritually depressed. You are not alone. The psalmist was there. I've been there. I can tell you almost every other person in this room has been there. We're in this together as a body of believers, and there's just something special about this moment here where we're assembled together as God's people, where together we can lift each other up and say, together, right now, we're going to hope in God. We're going to praise God. Amen? You want to do that? Let's worship.